I want to start today's show by Josh. Why don't you tell me what your favorite podcast is? My favorite podcast right now is probably the daily podcast that the Wall Street Journal does. Just because I can get a good idea of not only market news, the big headline stories, all within like 10 minutes. Just an awesome podcast to for anyone that's looking to get a quick 10-minute recap of today's market news and financial news and top stories. I've never heard it, but I'll have to check it out. Brent, what's your favorite podcast? Uh, depends on what season it is and what fantasy sport we're going into. So I rotate around between my fantasy baseball, fantasy basketball, fantasy football podcast. So what's your favorite fantasy baseball podcast? I switch around between Roto Ballers and, and that's about it. Okay, Roto Ballers. I think that's what it's called. I'll have to note that. I think that's what it's called. Maybe it's called Fantasy. Matt, what about you? I don't remember. You know, Josh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right now, my favorite is The Daily by The New York Times. The only reason I like it is because I get interesting news stories that I otherwise wouldn't really care about. But I think it's time to start the show. So let's fire up that music, Matthew. Let's get after it. Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Thiel. I'm a certified financial planner and financial advisor with RPA Wealth Management. I'm joined by my team here. I have Joshua Winterswick, a certified financial planner. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Matthew. Thank you. Really excited to join the podcast, and I'm really excited to discuss all of the topics that we have um, in the future. Thank you. And then I'm also joined by the head honcho of RPA Wealth Management. He's the president of the company, financial advisor. He has over 15 years experience in the investment advice industry, Brent Pasqua. Thank you, Matthew. And we're excited to reach out to more people through uh, the podcast. Yeah, I think that's one of the main reasons why we're sitting down to do this podcast is we work with a ton of clients who are in that kind of retiree, pre-retiree space. And we see a need to get better educational content out to them. And this is one of the ways that we can help give back is doing, you know, a quick 20 to 40 minute podcast talking about retirement. Now, Brent, can you tell me how retirement's a little bit different for this generation of, of people who are retiring and call it the, the next five years? So we are a registered investment advisory firm. And right now in this country, there's trillions of dollars that are managed by investment advisors. And the reason why is because people now want and need full financial and retirement planning. See, the generation that retired before us, when they retired, they had their social security and they had a pension. And regardless of the amount of time that they lived in retirement, all of their income was pretty much guaranteed. But as people began to live longer, corporations said, well, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to guarantee people's incomes for the rest of their life. We're going to actually put the responsibility on people. We're going to make it their responsibility to save their money, put money in their 401k, 403b, deferred comp, IRAs, Roth IRAs, and make them save enough money so that by the time they get to retirement, they have enough money to get them through retirement. However, the concerning part is that a person could live almost a third of their life having to stretch the money out that they've saved for their, their whole working life for a third of their life. And that potentially could be a really scary thing. When that generation before us retired and they had all that income guaranteed, they didn't really need to worry about their investment savings to cover their income gap. 
This new generation of the people now retiring has to stretch out a very minimal amount of fixed income, and they have to make that saving stretch out for the rest of their life. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I know looking at my own family situation, my grandfather had three or four different pensions, and my grandmother got them all when he passed away. Josh, did you see that in your family at all? Yeah, absolutely. My grandfather had the same situation. He worked for GE for 30 plus years and with Social Security, his pension and my grandma's pension, she worked for the school district. Their income really didn't drop much when they transitioned to that next stage, which was retirement. I've seen it on both sides of my family. On one side of the grandparents, they had a pension. My grandfather was a fireman. He got the fireman pension. And all of their income was guaranteed, and that was great, and they lived comfortable based on the pension, and there wasn't that big of a transition from work to retirement. But on the other side, my other grandparents, when he retired, he only received Social Security. And then so they all the money that he had put away into his retirement plans, that had to cover them for their entire life. It is a lot different planning for somebody who has a very small fixed income and has to make their savings stretch out versus somebody who has fixed income that's guaranteed for their whole life. Yeah, totally. And I think even that generation we're talking about, they didn't even truly have a lot of money in savings. You know, maybe they would have had, you know, 50 to $100,000 in a CD, but that's it. There was no retirement accounts were even created yet. Josh, can you tell me a little bit about how long you're seeing the average retirement last for people? Yeah, absolutely. Retirement now has really been planning with financial advisors, the planning focus with their clients, which is we have to develop a retirement plan because we don't know how long you can last, your retirement can last, how long you're going to live. And recently, a lot of studies have shown that individuals are living longer. There's also some research that show that that might not necessarily be true for the last couple years, but now with people living longer and retirement being a goal for the majority of Americans, you know, you can see clients and individuals living through retirement for anywhere from 20 to 30, 35 years. And that is a lot of time to plan for, for clients with no income besides fixed income or the assets that they accumulated while they're working. So, you know, a third of their life is now being spent in retirement, which just is a huge goal to plan for. Yeah, totally. I mean, a third of your life that equates about 20 to 30 years, which is truly insane. Brent, you had an interesting stat though on life expectancy that we were talking about before we hit the record button. You were saying that I think you saw that people are actually living less than life expectancy what was that yeah so we over the last like as josh had talked about over the last couple of years we've sort of seen a little bit of a decline in life expectancy but there are a lot of projections in medical that believe that people are going to live a lot longer the people that are alive today will live to later ages however we don't know that that's 100 percent true the concerning part though is if people do live longer That just means that the money, that pool of money that they saved has to stretch out for a longer period of time. And that either means, A, they need to save more money while they're working so they have more to let stretch out, or B, they're just going to have to be very careful on how they take out money over their retirement to make sure they don't get in this position where they're depleting that money. And then at the end of their life, they have nothing left over 
to last in the last five or seven or 10 years of their life. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think one of the things that the giant themes here is that when you're in retirement, more income is needed. You need more income than the generation before. There's a lot of reasons why. One is inflation, right? We all know that it costs more to live today than it did yesterday. Prices are going up. But one huge thing I see from my end is retirees are retiring with debt. And I know, Josh, this is one of your specialties, kind of the consumer debt side. But what's going on with this generation of retirees? I mean, I'm seeing people coming into the office and they're still got 15, 20 years left on their mortgage. They took out student loans either on themselves or on their kids. They might have credit card debt or, you know, a high auto loan. What are you seeing? What's going on with this next generation of retirees? Yeah, there are a lot more retirees that are entering that next phase with a lot of debt. And that debt does include not only mortgage debt, but unsecured personal loan debt. It could also include student loan debt from children or maybe even student loan debt from later education for those individuals as well. And with that, all of that piggybacked and compounding along with inflation, like we talked about, we're seeing just so many more pre-retirees retiring with this large amount of liabilities and it's becoming a really big issue for their retirement plan that we're having to solve for you know in their late 50s or their their early 60s and you know compared to the previous generation there wasn't as much of that debt that was going on and we kind of see this new generation in the baby boomer generation carrying just so much more debt from earlier on in life and never really coming up with a plan to pay it off or taking out, you know, a second on their home or racking up credit cards and all that's just compounding into this, you know, large liability dollar amount right before retirement. Yeah. It's a, I call it the keeping up with the Joneses syndrome, right? They see the neighbor get the new boat, they got to get the new boat. They see the Mercedes in the driveway, they got to go get the Mercedes without ever asking themselves, hey, can I afford this? Brent, you're our social security expert. You're doing a ton of work with your clients on social security planning. When you're seeing a client, let's just say they make around 100000 a year. How much is social security actually replacing of their income? So it all depends on the age at which somebody is going to retire. And so if a person retires at 62, they'll only really receive 75% of their full retirement age amount. And that's only going to provide them a small or smaller amount of their social security benefit that will give it to them for the rest of their life. But they're basically going to be stuck with that amount for the rest of their life. They will get some cost of living adjustments, but that's going to be the amount that they're going to receive for the rest of their life. Now, the longer that they wait, the longer they wait till they're retired, then the more they will receive from Social Security. Your full retirement age is based on the year you were born, somebody born in 1960 or after, their full retirement age is 67. And Wait, 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 slow down, slow down. So I think that's a big misconception that most Americans have, right? Most people think they're retiring at 65. What's with the difference there? So... 65 was the time that most people used to be able to retire and collect their full retirement age amount. But now that as people are living longer, the social security age requirements for collecting your full retirement age is different. And there's age brackets in which you could collect your full retirement age amount based on the year you're born. 
But if you were to collect at age 70, you'd collect 132% of your benefits. So from if your full retirement age is 66, from 62 to 66, every year you're delaying your benefits are going up by 6.25%. And then every year you're delaying your benefits from 66 to 70, your benefits are going up by 8% a year. Are those rates guaranteed? Yes. And you do not have to wait the full year to get their increase. Each person can collect Social Security 96 different times from 62 to 70. Social Security to me sounds like the best annuity money can buy. That's incredible. Now, from an income replacement standpoint, I think Social Security, correct me if I'm wrong, is going to replace about 40%, 30 to 40% of most people's working income if they're making 100000 Possibly at the most, depending on when they go to collect Social Security. I would say that those numbers are probably more accurate if they're waiting till well after their full retirement age to collect their benefit. And I think that's really where the problem is starting to come is, you know, somebody who does have $100,000 in income then goes to retire. And then let's just say they have 30000 or $32,000 a year from Social Security. How do you make up that difference? That's a pretty large gap to close. And if you're talking about having to withdraw to close that gap from your 401k, your IRA, it's going to take a pretty significant withdrawal each year to close that gap. And for a long period of time, you know, it's going to have to be done very carefully to make sure that you have that money, hopefully for the rest of your life. Yeah, the income gap is a real issue. Josh, there's all these new ways for retirees to save money. All these different accounts, 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs. To you, I know this answer is probably, it depends, but what are you seeing from your clients? What's the best one? Where are people putting away this money to make up the income gap? I see the most popular way from my experience with working with my clients is a 401k or work plan. The reason why it can be the easiest is because it comes directly from your paycheck and it's deferred into an account for you. And a lot of times now, employers actually will even set them up for you when you get hired or go through some sort of probation period. So now what we're seeing is so many people putting away into their 401k and even increasing the deferral amounts and really building a good solid lump sum nest egg in that 401k account. But what I'm also seeing is then because that deferral is coming from their paycheck, a lot of clients are not saving into traditional savings accounts or having other after-tax accounts as well. And so, yes, it depends. I would just say that the 401k is probably the most popular and maybe it has to do with it being the easiest for people to receive for retirement and then put away for that income that they're going to need in retirement. Yeah, totally. And from the investment side, I know we're seeing a lot of different options in these 401k plans. I mean, essentially, the corporation is going to their workers and saying, hey, you need to be a professional investor. And there's all these mutual funds and these people don't know what to pick. Brent, how do you kind of walk your clients through what funds to pick for their 401k? Well, it's even hard for an advisor to just be able to build a random portfolio for a client without really doing thorough financial planning. I mean, a lot of people want to do something in retirement. They have goals. They want to either travel, they want to spend more time with grandkids. They have aspirations of things that they want to do when they retire. That's one of the reasons they're retiring is because they have things that they want to enjoy doing. 
without knowing how somebody, the cash flow they're going to have, the expenses that they're going to have, the taxes that they could be paying, there's so many aspects that go into planning that can help a client determine how their 401k should be allocated, especially as they get into those last three to seven years of closer to retirement. It's going to be very specific as you start to do planning that you probably want to allocate those portfolios to make sure what happens if the market does start to decline a year or two before you retire. It happened in 08. There were so many people in 2008 that were planning on retiring at the end of the year. The market started to collapse in, in October of 2008. And then next thing you know, those people were working an extra one, two, three years to try and wait for that money to come back up in the market before they could actually afford to retire. Yeah, that's, I think, most people's biggest fear is the 2008 scenario. It's ingrained in their brain. And when they come in, they come in our office and they say, Matthew, Brent, Joshua, I'm fearful of the market. And if it crashes, I'm going to lose everything and I'm going to have to keep working. And it's a shame that it's set up this way, but you also don't need to be fearful of the market, right? You can make great wealth and there's strategies we can use to make sure the portfolio doesn't go down as much when the stock market goes down. Josh, how do you work with your clients during a volatile market? I think during a volatile market, education is very key. So understanding the investments, you know, more in detail and really talking about, like Brent mentioned, and starting with cash flow and retirement planning and their goals, because then the investment recommendations can really be tailored around not only how much income they need, what are their goals, and it makes the investment decisions really, the options then become a little bit more limited because we want to match them to not only their needs, but their goals. But educating around the investment and looking at scenarios like 2008 and how long it took to recover from 2008 and the difference in portfolio allocations and the downside risk and all of those education pieces that we use you know, with our clients, not only you know, feels more comfortable with the investments, but I think it also leads to a better outcome and really achieving our goals with not only clients, but anyone who's using that type of strategy. I think what's important also too, is that because of what happened in 08, it has left a lot of people with fear, but it has also made them vulnerable. And it has also made them vulnerable towards bad investment choices by making emotional investment decisions And I think what is clear, though, is if you understand how markets work and your portfolio is set up that's comfortable based on a person's volatility and what they're comfortable with, we start to have a lot of conversation with people about how they're going to withdraw from their portfolio. And there's a couple of different withdrawal philosophies that we can have discussions with our clients on about if the market does go down, Here's what we're going to do within the portfolio. Here's how your income may or may not be affected by that decline. And here's what to expect. And once you have that type of relationship and conversation with the client, the fear and anxiety starts to go away and and allows them to have a little bit more of a peaceful and enjoyable retirement. I have a question. Great point, Brent. I also have a question for you, Matt, about the difference between risk tolerance, like you were talking about, Brent, and then also the difference between that and risk capacity. Can you explain that a little to the listeners? Yeah, that's a complex question, Josh. So risk tolerance is truly how much the person can actually accept, right? 
So they might be extremely wealthy. Let's call it, you know, 10 million plus. But at the same time, they don't like watching their account drop below 10 million. They have a very low risk tolerance. That's a client who you're going to want to set up in what we would call low volatility investments or something like maybe a CD, a bond, maybe even something like rental property where the value doesn't change every day. That said, that same $10 million client has what we call high capacity to take risk. There's truly not a lot of risk for, for them that they can't take, right? They have $10 million. If they want to invest a million dollars in a startup and they lose that million dollars, it's not going to blow their 10 million. So tolerance is how much you can accept. Capacity in a way is how much your plan thinks you can really actually take. Or afford, right? Right, afford, yeah. exactly. And I think both of those conversations are extremely important to have with your client because they are such an important aspect of having clarity on what you're comfortable with in the market and then also what you need to sustain your lifestyle. Totally. And it's point. highly possible too that you could be working with, you know, a 35-year-old client who is extremely conservative. Textbook would say make them an aggressive investor, right? Correct. But they might have a low risk tolerance to where you're going to make them more conservative. And if that happens, the strategy then is, okay, we know your portfolio is going to be more conservative, but you need to save more. Absolutely. You need to increase your savings, right? Because your rate of return is going to be lower than everybody else's. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And just adjusting that strategy to meet the client's goal. Well put. So now a few other things we're seeing that's changing for retirees is interest rates. Everybody knows they are getting next to nothing on their savings accounts right now. Bond rates are at 3%, and this is affecting retirees. Joshua, what are you seeing here? How is this affecting your clients, the low interest rate environment? It's affecting our, our clients really in two ways. Um, one of the, the main ways it's affecting them is lower interest rates for more conservative investors correlates to lower rates of return. So when we're looking at a lower interest rate climate, saving rates are lower, CD rates are lower, bond rates are lower. Those are all correlated. So not to throw another speed bump at retirees, but we're entering this phase to where we do need to be more conservative with the portfolio because we're finally actually pulling income that we need for retirement out of it. But then what are those options? Because interest rates are so low from bond CDs and savings rates that we're getting more conservative, but we're not seeing the traditional rates of return from those types of investments, which makes it very difficult for them to sustain their income for retirement. So that's a, a really negative effect for more conservative or what we call like savers as well, because those interest rates are so low. Totally. And if you look at the, my favorite example is the 30 year bond example, right? So for those of you not familiar with bond, what you're essentially doing is you're handing over your money, you're loaning it out, and you're receiving interest payments back. So back in the late 80s, early 90s, you could buy a 30-year United States government bond. So you would essentially be loaning your money out to the government. And let's pretend it yields 8%. So it's, that means that you're making $80,000 a year on your million. That covers your income gap. Today, the 30-year bond yields 3%. So that means on your million, you're making 30,000. That's not enough to cover the income gap. And that's the problem we're in today. Correct. And it's just making it a lot harder to be able to have your money stretched out at a guaranteed rate or be able to predict exactly what's going to happen in with your income over the rest of your life. 
because rates are so low. Those guarantees aren't there. 08, they were a lot higher than they are now, but still those rates haven't come back to where they, they were in, in history. Can you talk a little bit about who low interest rates actually benefit, Matt? That's a great question, Josh. I think they help certainly people who are, are buying things on debt, specifically homes. So I believe rates for home interest are about around probably 4% depending on your credit score, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower. That helps a lot. I mean, previously, I think in the 80s and 90s, to use that example, rates were, you know, around 6 to 8%. And some older people will say, oh, I, my first home home loan rate was 10%. Well, that's a lot of interest. Yeah, or maybe even higher. Yeah, totally. It also helps the banks in a way, right? Because they could, they're just using the spread, so they can make a little bit more money. Other than that, I can't think of anyone. Do you have anything to add? No, yeah. I, I just think that the low interest rates do help people who are spending. And, you know, does that also lead into, you know, this low interest rate climate? I guess this is a question for you, Brent. Does the low interest rate climate and the ease of borrowing at that low rate correlate with what we talked about earlier, which is people's liabilities being higher than the generation before as well, just because it is easier to borrow and at a lower cost? How do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think that how it relates to retirement planning, I mean, before, you know, if somebody had a half million dollars in their 401k plan or in their savings, and they can get a 5% guaranteed rate, you know, they would be able to generate $25,000 of fixed income. And that fixed income, they knew what they were going to receive for the rest of their life, or as long as that rate was locked in for. And so they could easily fill the income gap between their social security and what their money is giving them in terms of interest. So that was a lot easier to plan. Now, when we don't have those types of rates, it's a lot harder to say, well, you're going to be able to take out X amount of dollars from your retirement plan, and this is what you're going to be able to sustain over your life, because really those rates aren't there. They're very low, and we can't guarantee anything you know, at this point with where rates are. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, retirement has really changed, and it's going to keep evolving. And it's important for everyday people to take a look at and say, hey, am I putting enough away for retirement? Are my investments suited for my retirement? Do I have a plan? It's big. I mean, 20 to 30 years of your life is a, a truly long time. Looking back on my own life, I've never planned for anything that long. Well, I think in some of the things that people can do as they get prepared to get another step closer to retirement is something that we talked about in the beginning, which is reduce as much debt as possible, continue to pay down debt, have the least amount of liabilities as you start to progress through your last stages of work, and then also work to really minimize taxes. If you can strategize, and we work with a lot of clients on strategizing, to minimize the amount of taxes that you're going to pay, not only when you're working through either making contributions to your retirement plans or in other ways, then when you do get retired, then you're able to minimize your taxes by your distributions. Can you carefully plan out where your withdrawals are going to come from to minimize the amount of taxes that you're going to pay? Because if you can save two, three, four thousand dollars a year in taxes during retirement, that's an extra two or three, four thousand dollars towards your goals. Whether it's a trip, travel, more disposable income, that's extra money that you have to spend in retirement, but can carefully be done through planning. Well put. All right, so I thought we'd, we'd close today's show by talking about something exciting we have coming up this weekend. Um, Josh, I know it's the first Saturday in May, so uh, what's that mean for you? 
Kentucky Derby time. Yeah, that's a really excited tradition in my family to always get together and watch it. So looking forward to this Saturday. Excellent. And Brent, um, I think you're taking the kiddos somewhere new and fun. Yeah, we plan to take, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old right now, and we plan to take them to the San Diego Zoo. They've seen animals before, but this is the first time we'll take them to the big zoo. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be a crowded experience, but uh, you're a brave man. What about you, Matt? What do you got going? Well, Josh, it's been a while since I've been there, but I'm going to be heading down to Bank of California Stadium to watch our black and gold LAFC MLS professional soccer team with my wife. Um, Should be a great time. So I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today on the Retirement Plan Playbook podcast. I'm Matthew Thiel, and I'm joined by the team here, Josh Winterswijk and Brent Pasqua. Any party noise, boys? No, again, just excited to get this started. Just could talk for a long time, but excited to share all of our experiences and knowledge with, with our listeners. Yeah, we're looking forward to addressing so many topics as we progress through and hopefully really be able to help a lot of people out in their situation. Perfect. And any feedback you have on the show, you could look us up at www.rpawealth.com and leave us a comment. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.